0: Ed Flash the
1: Labor Board finally gets a raise. More details on that tentative agreement for academics at the University of California, the largest strike this year. And today on the show, we'll check in with the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO and United Association Local 4 in Massachusetts. Welcome to the Thursday, December 22nd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Mr. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, afl for complete updates. And this being the, uh, the last show of the year, Congress still in session, trying to work out a spending bill. And uh, we got some good news yesterday, apparently, there is money put aside to staff the National Labor Relations Board. We're talking about $25 million, which, yes, it is a chunk of money. But from what I'm reading, it's still not enough. Now, the bill, you ready for this? It's $1.7 trillion. So $25 million. <laughs> it's not very much in that. But uh, Bill will explain. What it entails, and from what I understand, there won't be any layoffs. Now, they haven't had a raise in, uh, I believe, nine years. And you factor in inflation. Scary scenario for some of the workers. And they're working like crazy right now because of all the organizing, which is something else that we're going to touch on. We're also going to look into the uh, Pregnant Workers Act. Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, I should say. And apparently, we, we talked about this with various guests on the show in the last couple of weeks. And right now, it's hard to believe pregnant workers can still be fired or sidelined for requesting accommodations that help them stay safe on the job. There's been a number of cases where pregnant women who are like, you know, eight months into their pregnancy working in a warehouse where they had to climb a ladder. I believe Amazon has a lawsuit pending on a case very similar to that. So the laws just don't go far enough right now, and that's why we have the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. We'll touch on that, and uh, we'll get some predictions for next year. should be interesting because uh, Congress is definitely divided. House is going to go into Republican hands. The Senate still Democratic, so anything that happens that's not very good for labor in the House, you know it's going to die in the Senate. And uh, TAA, um, that's the Trade Adjustment Assistance Act. That's another one that uh, is up in the air right now. So Bill Samuel will discuss all that and more. Robbie McCarthy will be joining us later in the show. Robbie is with the United Association Local 4. Talk about a storied history here. This local was chartered in 1890. Local 4 represents licensed plumbers, pipefitters, HVAC techs in the Worcester, Massachusetts County area, which is uh, right outside Boston. And uh, Robbie, well, he uh, started plumbing at a vocational high school, got into the plumbers union after graduating high school back in uh, 2005. His grandfather was a local four plumber as well few years after he completed his apprenticeship, he started teaching part-time. That was back in 2014. Then he was elected to the executive board two years later, then elected as vice president and business manager in June of this year. So he hasn't had that position very long. One of the things we're going to get into is the aging workforce. Replacing an aging workforce has to start now, says Robbie. 48%, so almost half of their local, Local 4, is between the ages of 55 and 64. Now, there's some changes that uh, actually are happening as we speak. He says the older generation is helping the younger generation right now. And he points out that their e-board, and he'll explain what this is all about, the e-board and all their elected officers went from an average of probably 55 to 60, to an average of 35, and that's the age of Robbie. He's 35. The board, the e-board average age is now in the lower 30s, and the youngest officer is our recording secretary at 25, and first elected female. So the union is changing in leadership, and some of that, obviously, they're going to make a push to make sure that they – Get a younger workforce going. So we'll talk about future work. I guess uh, one of the projects there is a first-of-its-kind nuclear fusion plant that they're going to get involved in. And uh, they're also trying to do more residential work. That's quite fascinating in itself because I was talking just uh, yesterday or the day before about an IBEW local in Louisiana that just got a contract to do residential. And, uh, you know, I'd say probably 99% of the trades just do commercial. They're not in the residential sector. But uh, things are a-changing. Robbie McCarthy will be joining us to button up the show. And now for a brief look into the world of labor, This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, equity investment options to clients nationwide. $17 billion in assets under advisement, serving the needs of Taft-Hartley Funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, and religious organizations. And they've been doing this since 1928 You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. You know, yesterday I was talking about the academic workers and the tentative contract agreement that they reached finally. We're getting some more information on this. This comes on the heels of a five-week-long strike, which was initiated by 36,000 academic workers across 10 university campuses. It was the largest strike of academic workers ever. In the country. Now, the tentative agreements would cover two separate bargaining units of academic workers. 19,000 teaching assistants. Now, they're represented by UAW Local 2865. And then there's 17,000 academic student researchers. And they're represented by SRU, Student Researchers United, also part of the United Auto Workers. Now, the bargaining team reported that the tentative contract included wage increases, expanded supports for student parents, stronger protections for international students, and improved transit benefits. Now, some union leaders, however, oppose the tentative deal and are urging members to vote against ratification. That process is going on right now. They are highlighting... That the contract does not include wage increases tied to housing costs, which was a priority. Keep in mind, they're working in California, where home prices are enormously high, and apartments. The ratification vote, again, should wrap up tomorrow and requires a simple majority of each union's membership. And if the members vote no, guess what? The strike will continue and already five weeks. This is a historic strike too. Uh, auto workers, too. I mean, they've had strikes over the years. This is one of the biggest in their history. Uh, Noted a comment here from the American prospect. One of the writers there, Harold Meyerson, pointed out that the University of California is a government institution and therefore not under the jurisdiction of the National Labor Relations Board, which oversees labor relations in the private sector. However, the activism of the young UC workers, like the activism of growing numbers of young workers everywhere, is the reason why the Labor Board needed to grow in order to serve the expanding market. And he points out, the funding bill, which I just referenced, and we're going to talk more about with Bill Samuel, is long overdue, but it is a start. It is a start. Definitely a start. 9%, 9% higher than last year. That's the uh, the increase that they, they needed. You know, over the last several years, the public's approval rating for unions has risen to its highest level, 71% in nearly 60 years. The number of organizing drives and strikes have both increased. This year, according to Cornell University's School of Industrial and Labor Relations, there have been 374 strikes, which is a 39% increase over last year. Running from the spectrum of what I just mentioned, the UC teaching assistants, to the bakers at Kellogg and Nabisco, Cornell tallies 78,000 workers who walked off the job in the first half of this year, which is nearly three times the 26,500 who struck in the first six months of 2021. Union organizing has increased as well. The number of requests to the Labor Board to conduct union recognition elections rose by 57% from the first six months of, of fiscal 2021 when there were 748 such requests to the first six months of fiscal 2022 when that number jumped to 1,174. The latter number includes the landmark victory of Amazon workers on Staten Island and the first set of Starbucks baristas to win recognition. And right now, 250 Starbucks outlets have gone union. They're still working on contracts, but they voted for the union. The American Prospect points out an unprecedented share of those requests to the labor board are coming from college students and graduate employees at private universities, museums, think tanks, nonprofits, and their like, workers whose skills give them a degree of immunity From the common employer response to workers seeking to unionize, which is to fire them. That's the world we live in with regard to labor today. All right, quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. This
0: is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
2: It takes Layuna to build North America's infrastructure. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
1: You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. This
0: segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash ferrins
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. I was just uh, mentioning the uh, graduate students out at the University of California in the tentative deal. We have another one here on Wednesday, organizers with United Labor of Tufts Resident Assistance Office and Professional Employees. Now, this is be uh, Local 153 of OPEIU. They announced that Tufts University Resident Assistance voted overwhelmingly to form their new union. How about this vote? 99 to 3 in favor. Yeah, 99 to 3 in favor of union representation. And it continues a wave of collective action on campuses across the country. No doubt about that. Just uh, talking about that on the show. Let's go to uh, line number one. And joining us from Washington, as he has been for many, many years now, is Mr. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Boy, what a year for uh, organizing and, uh, I'll tell you, worker activism. Isn't that something, What's uh, what's been going on this year, Bill?
3: Yes, especially among young young workers. Uh you know, in the uh, uh, tech field, in universities, uh, in the service industry, you know, you think of Starbucks and other uh, chain stores. Uh, it's been incredible. There's like a lot of support among young workers, which is exactly what the labor movement needs, exactly what America needs.
1: Yeah, and I was pointing out to the, uh, the researchers out in California. Now, they're not under the jurisdiction of the Labor Board, but uh, I know we want to talk about the Labor Board because it has been grossly underfunded. So let's just plow into that right now. I guess they have a chunk of money set aside that will probably be finalized today. Why don't you walk us through the process here, Bill?
3: Yeah, we hope so. Well, actually, you know, the the this started nine years ago when the Republicans uh, decided they were going to try to starve the NLRB uh, out of existence, and they stopped increasing uh, its uh, annual appropriation. Uh, keeping it capped at $274 million. And that's a pretty small agency. I mean, we're talking about a couple thousand workers. And year after year, the Republicans refused to increase the budget. I I can't think of any other agency in the federal federal government that didn't, you know, that wasn't able to get enough money to absorb, you know, mandatory pay increases, uh, increases in rent. So as a result, uh, the NLRB has, you know, year after year has uh, been weakened. And that was very intentional on the part of Republicans nine years ago. This is, so this has been going on for almost a decade. This year, because we have, you know, new uh, membership on the, on the National Labor Relations Board appointed by President Biden, we have a new general counsel um, who are really aggressive, taking it to employers, enforcing the law, uh, coming up with some novel Uh, theories about how to make it um, safer for workers to organize, being more aggressive. Um, We decided, and the administration decided, it's time to beef up the National Labor Relations Board. Um, So the administration asked for about $45 million more. That's like a 20% increase in one year. Uh, And the Republicans, of course, uh, were adamant they weren't going to approve any additional Funding, but the Democrats are nominally in charge of the Congress. So this fight has been going on for about four months as we get to the end of the year funding bill. You know, the deadline for funding the government is, is Friday night, tomorrow night. Um, and finally, uh, with a lot of work by our international unions, activists around the country, and support on the Hill, uh, we got $25 billion uh, increase uh, promised in this bill, assuming it passes tomorrow. Or tonight, uh, and that will enable them to uh, hire some more uh, employees, um, keep the lights on, uh, and uh, it's about a ten percent increase uh, in year over year. And so that's we're very excited about that. We're very happy. Should have been more. Shouldn't have been this difficult to get twenty-five million dollars. You know, the defense budget is eight hundred and fifty billion dollars. Wow. We're talking about twenty-five million. I mean, Congress never debates or rarely debates. Amounts that small, and trivial, but uh, but it means something to the board, and it will mean something to workers who are organizing and taking risks. But the board will be fully functioning, at least for another year.
1: But here's my concern: it's still twenty million dollars less than the agency had requested, and okay. obviously, you've always you always got to ask for more. You know, you shoot yeah. for the stars, maybe you'll get the moon. I, I get yeah, that. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, though. I mean. The twenty million. Uh, I mean, it this is it enough? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're, we're, are we going to? I guess are we just kicking the can down the road? Are we going? going to come you up. You know,
3: again? we weren't. You know, advertising widely, but the board was looking at a furlough, actually laying off employees. They needed about, I think it was about ten million, to keep its present uh, staffing complement. You know, for another year. So twenty-five million enables them not only to keep everybody on board, but but do some hiring, uh, add capacity. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty happy about that. I mean, you're right. It's it's not enough. Um, it's shameful that we've had to have this knockdown, drag-out fight. We had to involve the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. We had conversations with both of them to hold the line. Uh, Patty Murray, who chairs the Appropriations Committee in the Senate. She's in Washington State. Rosa DeLauro is the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. From Connecticut, we talked to all of them multiple times. We had union presidents calling them. President of the AFL-CIO, Liz Shuler, was on the phone. President of AFT, uh, the, the carpenters, CWA. It was a big. You, you'd be surprised the campaign we had to mount to get this appropriation across the finish line. But when you think it's been nine years since Congress uh, did something like this, it's you know if you begin to understand how much opposition there is in the republican party to yeah. the labor movement and the labor board and we and Mitch McConnell who's kind of in charge of it uh we overcame it this year so we're pretty proud of that we're pretty excited we got this done and hopefully it breaks the dam you know so next year maybe not next year when Kevin McCarthy is likely to be speaker uh, but soon you know when democrats pro worker majority is reestablished in the House, and we'll be able to do this each year and, and rebuild the NLRB.
1: Yeah, we really need to do it, because look at the organizing that's going on right now, and that's primarily why the Republicans don't want to uh, to add more to the NLRB. They see what's going on in America. I mean, this has oh, been absolutely. a record, record year for organizing.
3: You know, the fact that we were pushing hard for it uh, caused the Chamber of Commerce— the National Retail Federation to push hard against it. It really became a a battle, you know, between the sort of pro-labor and uh, anti-union forces in Washington and on Capitol Hill. And so that's why, you know, having won, we think we really accomplished something. Even though, you know, $25 million isn't a lot, uh, it's a victory. And it was against pretty tall odds. So anyway, that's, that's, that's that's the good news as we end this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll see what happens uh, late tomorrow. Always at the last minute, that's how it works. I'm reading, too, that this uh, this bill, this is called the Omnibus Bill, will fund the government through September of 2023. So, again, we're just kicking the can down the road, right?
3: Right. I mean, you know, ordinarily, and it hasn't, nothing's ordinary about Congress anymore, they used to pass 13, I think it was 12 or 13 separate appropriation bills. You know, one for the Labor Department, then Health and Human Services and Education, one for the Defense Department, one for the Interior Department. But it's been a while since they've been able to get these bills individually passed and signed by the White House. So they get to the end of the year. They haven't passed any of them. You know, they're at different stages of development. And then they put put everything together in what they call an omnibus bill. So all the bills are in one. It's like, a, I think it's 1,500 pages, something like that. And frankly, you know, members of Congress have, you know, the right to complain that they don't have time to read it. They don't know exactly what's in it. Um, but, you know, staff staff, and members, you know, who look out for specific agencies and programs, they know exactly what they're doing. These negotiations go on for weeks. Uh, and then finally, the omnibus, you know, has to pass by midnight tomorrow. And that's when the current omnibus expires. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, And I think it will pass. They're hung up over some immigration issues overnight, Um, but I think that'll get worked out. And, you know, the one thing they always say about Congress is, you know, when a holiday is coming, they can smell jet fuel at National Airport and they want to get moving. They want to get home. And a lot of these controversies are going to kind of slip away and hopefully... By the end of, end of today, we'll
1: have a deal. Yeah, well, the timing on that isn't too good with all the the crazy weather that's going to happen this week. Right,
3: we'll, that's, that's we'll another see. thing pushing them to.
1: Yeah, to yeah, they're talking about shutting down some airports. That's how bad it is. So, a uh, couple other issues here the uh, the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act and also Trade Adjustment Assistance. Now, we've been talking about these here on the show. Let's start with the uh, the Trade Adjustment Assistance. Is any any movement on that?
3: Yes. So far, no. Uh, there's a chance to add some money to keep the program alive for another few months into next year, and then we can continue to work on it. Uh, but the program itself expired last June. In other words, they're not uh, accepting new applications. And we think somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to 40,000 workers who were laid off in factories due to unfair trade have been denied uh, benefits and services uh, since the summer um we we have been trying to get this program reauthorized it goes back to 1962 the kennedy administration and it's been a and it's had bipartisan support after all if a government takes an action that causes you to lose your job the theory is they owe you a little bit more uh, and that they should get you into a training program retraining for another job that's available and provide some income while you're in and health insurance while you're in that training program and it's been going on for many years uh, it expired in june Uh, Republicans laid down the law. They have no interest in extending it. They don't like government programs. They have no interest in uh, giving workers a a hand up. Um, But we're not giving up. We're going to keep at it, hopefully, next year. I mean, the one thing that I will say about Republicans is they they will make deals. And so they want some more uh, free trade agreements or at least extension of some of the current uh, trade language that benefits uh, some of their – allies. And so if we can make a deal, and it's not a bad one for, for workers, we can get TAA reauthorized, and then the Republicans can get whatever small trade program they want continued. And that's that's hopefully what we'll do next year.
1: So they want some more free trade agreements so they can get rid of more jobs in America, and then go with trade adjustment assistance? Is that
3: is that... The... Well, that, I mean, that's the idea. We're not going to agree to a deal that actually would result in uh, lost jobs. There are some programs that like the general generalized system of preferences, there are some countries that get preferred trade uh, 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 admission, you know, their, their goods get uh, uh, come in, they come in tariff free in certain countries, certain products. Um, that's the, that's the GSP. They want that extended. There are a couple other small programs. And we might, we might agree to a deal to extend those programs if they're willing to extend uh, trade adjustment assistance. That's, that's how it normally works, and you know, we'll just have to see, is, is next year going to be a normal year, or is it going to be another kind of you know crazy year like this has been?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's take a break here. We'll talk uh, about the Pregnant Workers' Fairness Act next and also do some predictions for uh, 2023. Bill Samuel joining us on our live line from the AFL-CIO, where he serves as Government Affairs Director. Do check out their uh, national website, AFLCIO.org. I go to it every day just to uh, find out what's going on in labor. And uh, later in the show, we're going to check in with the U.A., that would be United Association Local 4, which is just outside Boston, Massachusetts. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce.
0: This is America's Workforce.
2: It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
2: We are the USW. We are the
0: USW.
2: The United United Steelworkers.
0: The largest industrial union in North America.
2: We represent
3: 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean.
0: We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper,
3: oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector.
0: We are steelworkers standing strong and fighting for what's right.
1: The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every
2: sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Farrance with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and... Give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Washington and rejoin Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as Government Affairs Director, AFL-CIO.org. org. right, this uh, Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, and I guess uh, it's really needed because there are cases, many of them, where uh, pregnant workers could be fired or at least uh, sidelined for some time, be – because the company that they're working for didn't accommodate them uh, it could be a warehouse is said, hey you got to go up this ladder and get these boxes here and the woman is like seven eight months pregnant there could be some problems there apparently this is legislation that is needed well what what's going on with it bill where, where do we stand with it
3: yeah this is a really an appalling story the house passed this bill uh, with broad bipartisan support. It's one of those cases where even, you know, kind of Republicans who normally don't support protections for workers uh, or government mandates, I think it got nearly a hundred Republican votes was over 300 votes altogether, uh, you know, It was, a, again, kind of a landslide in the House, uh, I believe it was last summer or spring. So it came over to the Senate, uh, needed to pass, obviously, it needed 60 votes because they still have the filibuster in place, and any Republican can object in the Senate to move, uh, taking up any bill, and then it takes 60 votes to overcome that objection. And uh, a couple of Republicans uh, raised an objection, believe it or not, based on religious grounds that they alleged... That somehow providing accommodations to pregnant workers somehow could have an impact on uh, religious uh, organizations um, that, for whatever reason, they didn't feel should be compelled uh, to, to abide by this kind of federal protection for workers. Um, not a new not a new theory. I mean, there's there's a small group of Republicans in the Senate who, you know, who think that religious organizations, institutions, even ones that are profitable, should be you know completely exempt from federal laws. It's, so there's you know to avoid conflict. I'm not even sure what the conflict would be. As you said, a pregnant woman climbs a ladder or is asked to lift something heavy. What's the what's the religious implication of protecting that worker from being fired? I, I don't I don't get it. Anyway. Um, we thought we had a deal. Uh, we were willing, and we, the advocates uh, uh, for this bill, were willing to provide some exemptions for religious institutions—very minor—and uh, the Republicans balked. At least they did yesterday. Now, again, this this may come back today in the final hours of this session. Um, but having passed with over 300 votes in the House, I think it had business support. Actually, you know, some businesses wanted to, you know, be for something that looked like they were. Um, you know sensitive to their employees needs. but again this small group of Republican uh, really extremists in the Senate uh, have been blocking it. Um, James Langford from Oklahoma uh, is the lead is the lead sort of objector to this. Um, and we'll see if we can get some kind of deal arranged. Uh, we've been working on it. it's important priority for us um, and it just goes to show how difficult it is to get even the most basic uh, uh, legislation. And laws passed in Washington these days, with uh, uh, with the filibuster and the very extreme nature of the Republican Senate minority,
1: is part of the conversation. They don't want any government action. They they figure leave it to the private sector to handle this. That's the attitude. Exactly.
3: Well, and this theory that if you know if you don't like your job, find another one. You know, or if you're uh, you know they don't support a minimum wage. They don't support. You know, they didn't support the Affordable Care Act, which required companies to provide uh, health care or at least to allow employees to get health care on the private market with with subsidies. I mean there's this is a you know, it's a pretty extreme party. Uh, you think about Republicans of uh, you know, previous generations, I don't think they'd be where this Republican party is. I think they'd probably be considered, you know, conservative democrats or moderate democrats. Um, you know, we go into a whole hit discussion of history and you can see, you know, under Richard Nixon, they approved OSHA yeah. and the Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, you know, you can can you imagine being able to pass the OSHA law now or creating the Environmental Protection Agency with this crowd and, and uh, this Republican group um, in, the, in the Congress? It's just hard to imagine.
1: You know, it's hard to believe. I was just reading this, that Nixon proposed a universal health care
3: plan. When he was that's president. Right. That's right. Goes back to, that's right, to, the, to the late 60s, <laughs> early 70s. Things have changed and not necessarily for the better. No, at least no not
1: parents. at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's uh, let's uh, speculate about what's going to happen next year because yeah. uh, the House is going to turn to uh, maybe McCarthy's going to get it. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out, I guess, at the beginning of January. I know there's a lot of infighting going on, but what concerns me and I'm sure it concerns you is what they're going to do. I know they're going to have all kind of committees, investigations, and they're going to try to distract the American people from what needs to be done. I mean, that's been going on for a long time here. But what about like anti-labor kind of legislation? Do you see anything? You hearing anything right now that maybe you want to call attention to?
3: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not actually too worried, really, because of the the way uh, we were able to. You know, pull out victories in the Senate. So now the Democrats in the Senate have a clear majority, fifty-one forty-nine. They don't have to rely on the Vice President to be in town to break ties. Um, it's a good Democratic majority. It's led by strong pro-labor Democrats, um, Chuck Schumer, you know, being the uh, majority leader. And then the President, of course, would have to sign any bill that uh, that the Congress sent him. I think the House will cause a lot of trouble. I think there's going to be. There will be a lot of investigations, oversight. I think they will try to tie up uh, the Labor Department, the NLRB, with hearings and and requests for information. And, you know, they may even try to impeach uh, certain government uh, uh, figures, like they've said they want to impeach the head of the Department of Homeland Security because of the border crisis. I think they're going to waste a lot of time. Uh, I think they're going to spin their wheels in the House. There already, there's already, as you pointed out about McCarthy, a lot of infighting. Uh, they're not unified. And, you know, they've only got, a, I think, a four, possibly five-seat majority. So if they can't pull everyone together in the same way that Nancy Pelosi was able to, you know, who was really a remarkable leader on the Democratic side, if they can't do that, they're not even going to be able to pass bills in the House. And they may not even be able to do the basic functioning of government, you know, passing appropriation bills, raising Mm -hmm. the debt ceiling. We could have a lot of chaos, but I don't think they're going to pass a lot of laws. And particularly, they're not going to pass anti-labor, anti-union laws, because the Senate won't allow it and the president won't sign them. So, you know, reason to be concerned that we're not going to make progress, uh, that we could see a lot of chaos, uh, maybe government shutdowns. A lot of smoke, but not a lot of fire, I think, is what we're looking at, at least for the next two years.
1: Uh, I'm reading that one of the um – The bills that may come up in the House would be the anti-pro Act.
3: (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, well, they've got their own bills. You know, National Right to Work. Every year, uh, every two years, Rand Paul, the senator from Kentucky, and someone in the House—I can't remember who—most recently, they introduced a National Right to Work law. All you know, that we would no longer be state by state. Um, And by the way, you know, we hope to repeal Right to Work in Michigan. Very exciting. The Democrats took back the House, Senate, and the governor was reelected Democratic governor. They're going to repeal. Right to work, which passed, uh, you know, a few years back, so that's good. But at the federal level, they're not going to be able to pass a national right to work.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. no way. Well, they just like to uh, preach to their base. There, that's that's all that is. Unfortunately, yeah, it's a it's a,
3: it's a fundraising opportunity for Republicans, um, and that's
1: it's not much more than that. Now, with uh, Kirsten Cinema going independent how how do you feel about that how's that going to change things well it's not great
3: news Uh, it's not going to change things for the next two years you know she'll vote as she's been voting not great she has not been uh, voting with the Democratic Party as often as we would like and she hasn't uh, been particularly supportive of our agenda Labor's agenda and she supported you know she's upheld the filibuster and we could have gotten rid of that if she and Joe Manchin had agreed to we had the other 48 Democrats willing to do it we needed 50 um, I think the problem is going to be in the, the next election in Arizona in 2024 when she's up. If she runs as an independent and the Democrats don't agree to support her as well, like running, you know, as both an independent Democrat, we're going to have a three-way race: a Democrat, an independent, and a Republican. And that sometimes allows the Republican to sneak through. Yep. And with a 51-49 Senate, we can't afford to lose even an independent who votes. Like a Democrat, and by the way, just as a reminder, Bernie Sanders is is an independent, and so is Angus King, who's a senator from Maine. So there are independents who caucus with Democrats and provide them the majority. So of the 51 uh, Democrats and independents in the Senate, two are actually independent now. There'll be three. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about Joe Manchin. He may become an independent in the next two years. But really, the problem is more an electoral one. What happens in the next election? Is it a three-way race, and do we yeah. do we have a chance of losing that seat?
1: I think a Mansion is or has been acting as an independent. He just hasn't he has not declared that <laughs> he's yeah. been
3: very independent. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, Democratic Democrats are not doing well in West Virginia, and so he may decide to run as an independent just to you know get rid of the label, the uh, yeah. Democratic label, and but continue to vote as he has, which we expect Kirsten Sinema to
1: do. Okay, Bill, we got a couple minutes left, and uh, I just want to talk about an event that's coming up next month. And this is going to be in Las Vegas, and it's the Consumer Electronics Show. And uh, this is interesting, too. It's a big show, a big show. It's been going on for years. Well, apparently, four years ago, the AFL-CIO decided to do a, um, I guess it was like a seminar, a discussion, and they're, they're, they're looking at work. You know, how work has changed over the years, and technology is a big part of that. And they did this uh, conference called The Future of Work, and I guess it's uh, it's going to be discussed. And a number of people, Liz Schuler, I see Fred Redman, a number of unions, I see the uh, Culinary Workers Union, they're all going to meet, and this is like the first week of January. I'm just wondering, about what's, your, what's your take on this? Even my union is involved, SAG-AFTRA. They uh, represent the uh, motion picture, TV, and radio artists, and uh, they're recommending, in fact, that unions attend to check in to see what's going on with uh, with all the changes in technology. Any thoughts on this? This is kind of fascinating, don't you it, think?
3: It's fascinating. you know, technology is not something that should happen to workers. Workers shouldn't be victims of change in the workplace, whether it's, you know, how we uh, deal with um, intellectual property, you say sag after obviously, if... Films can be, uh, you know, streamed in other countries and just with the press of a button, uh, you know, and, and, you know, artists can lose the right to their to their art. So that affects, right. you know, the entertainment sector. Certainly, if you mentioned Unite here, it certainly affects uh, the workplace. If you're a server, you know, if they're going to if the company is going to introduce, uh, you know, robots or, you know, and we, we, we've we heard a lot about that at fast food restaurants um, so technology is something that should be developed with workers in mind, um, so that it actually makes work safer, you know, uh, easier, uh, and but not result in you know widespread unemployment. That's not that's not right. going to help the economy if if people are out of work. Um, so that's why we attend the Consumer Electronics Show and try to draw attention. This is tens of thousands of people. It's the biggest trade show in Las Vegas every year. Um, you know, a lot of it is just glitz. It's you know, new you know televisions and you know technology, uh, sure you know, communication devices. But it's also devices that, as you point out at the beginning, affect how people uh, behave uh, and are treated at work. Yeah, so whether they're again you know actors or servers or factory workers. You know, all of this, all of these new um, inventions affect people's jobs and employment and uh, uh, and pay. Uh, and safety, you know, this is, right. you, you know, you think of self-driving cars well, uh, or, you know, autonomous vehicles. What does that do to the transit industry? You've got a lot of transit workers who go to work every day driving buses, truck drivers. They're talking about driverless uh, uh, trucks. Is it safe? Is it smart? Do we need people, uh, do we need Teamsters still on the job making sure that goods are delivered and, uh, you know, people aren't run over, you know? or packages left by the side of the road. So that's that's the point, to be part of this yeah. discussion, to make sure workers are involved at every stage of, of technology, whether it's artificial intelligence or just, you know, basic kind of technological advances.
1: Yeah, let me drive people to the website. It's ces.tech, ces.tech, and uh, you can get a glimpse of what they're going to Discuss at that Consumer Electronics Show. It's going to be Thursday, uh, January 5th, and it close on Sunday, January 8th. All right, Mr. Samuel, you take care. Always enjoy talking to you. You have a very uh, wonderful holiday and a safe one at that. And we'll talk to you in January, okay?
3: And you too. Happy holiday. Thanks very much.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick break. Robbie McCarthy is with the United Association Local 4 outside Boston. He's coming up next.
3: You're
0: listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens.
2: That's L-I-U-N-A dot org.
4: Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcasts.
0: Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to America's workforce. Here's Ed Flash
1: Ferrens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to central Massachusetts right now. And joining us on line number two is Robbie McCarthy. Robbie is a business manager of the United Association Local 4. Website is UALocal4.com. And Robbie, he's 35 years of age, and he is very concerned about the aging workforce. And the best part of it, he's doing something about it. Hey, Robbie McCarthy, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today,
4: my brother? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me.
1: So let's start with um, how you got involved in the United Association. Can you uh, reflect on that moment in your uh, in your uh, in your life? I guess it was what right out of high school or what?
4: Yeah, right out of high school. I went to a uh, vocational high school where we would take a shop class one week and we'd go to an academic week the next week. Um, I got into plumbing My my grandfather was a, a union plumber and decided to follow that.
1: And you uh, are business manager for not a very long time. What, it was June of 2022? Uh, Is this something you were striving for once you got involved in the United Association?
4: It was, yes. Yes, I've been working towards this goal for a little while now. I was vice president for three years before this. I was on the e-board for three years before that one. I've been teaching as a plumber for about seven years now.
1: All right. I want to talk about that e-board, but how many members in uh, Local 4 right now, Robbie?
4: Uh, A little over 350.
1: 350. Has that been pretty constant? Is it growing? What's the story?
4: Uh, It's pretty constant, but we are trying to grow now. We've got a lot of work demand coming up, and... We're going to need to. We're going to need to get bigger.
1: What uh, What's the count on your uh, apprenticeship program right now?
4: A little over forty. So we range between forty and fifty apprentices, depending on how fast they get their licenses and work demand.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Your territory, then? You said Central Massachusetts is is. Yes. I mean, is that a pretty big territory, or what?
4: No, it's relatively small. And in, in, in New England, we have a lot of smaller local unions. So, our our territory is small compared to some unions. You go down south there at West, and they are gigantic. Yeah. We're relatively small.
1: Oh, oh, I know there's some unions. Uh, I, I recall, I think it was the, uh, the iron workers and, or no, there's the operating engineers in Minnesota and it covers like three States. So, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and they're under attack right now by mother nature. It's, it's not pretty up there right now, but, uh, uh right, right. I understand that, uh, you mentioned the work and I was reading earlier about, um, the first-of-its-kind nuclear fusion plant. What's uh, yes. what's the story there?
4: This is a, a job that we have coming up called Commonwealth Fusion, and uh, it's a, a venture from MIT and the Department of Energy, and this is supposed to be the – there's a couple other nuclear fusion reactors out there, but they they add, they don't generate more power than what they use. So this one is supposed to be the first one of its kind that will generate more power than it uses, and – First step in uh, the U.S. making uh, clean clean fuel that's uh, pretty much unlimited.
1: So, what stage are we in, and how many jobs will be created as a result of that?
4: I hundreds of jobs, and it's just very, very at the beginning. Wow, that this sounds was, uh, fascinating. MIT had this this theory, and and they they say it'll work. So, this is sort of a, uh, a research and development project, and it'll be years worth of work that'll. Just kind of be a lot of fine tuning and perfecting until they get it to work and it's what they want.
1: Nice to have MIT in your backyard over there. Now, now is this it, the, it is, yes. <laughs> is this the first thing that you've gotten from uh, from the researchers over there at MIT?
4: Uh, in our territory, yes. Yep. Good. First major project.
1: Good, good, good. So I mean with that being said, you're gonna probably have to get more people in that apprenticeship program, right?
4: Oh yes. Yes, for sure.
1: Okay. Now, what are you doing to attract people in, in that? Because, you know, I, this is an uh, ongoing conversation. Yeah. I mean, the trades are having, you know, they're doing everything possible, meeting with high school counselors and all that. What, what are you doing at a local four?
4: Yeah, we, we meet with our vocational schools uh, pretty frequently and and even uh, regular high schools too, not just, just vocational, but we do a lot of outreach programs. Um, we work with a lot of uh, this program called Building Pathways, which takes – Kids who are interested in all sorts of trades, but not really sure sure where to go, and they come into our facility and take some classes. We show them a little bit, and we we have a great right now um, list of apprentices who want to get in. A lot of people are wanting to join the union right now, it seems, which is great for us. So,
1: yeah. Do you go back to now? You were at a vocational high school when you started plumbing. Yeah. Do you go back to that and say, "Hey, look what I became." <laughs> <Does that laughs> I, I, yes,
4: I'm on the uh, the vocational board there now as well.
1: There you go. I like that. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, now I know you want to talk about this this aging workforce, and uh, I was reading some numbers here. 48% of your local is 55 to 64. Now, you're talking close to retirement here, but you know, right. you're trying to do something about that, and you mentioned the e-board. Why don't, you, why don't you start right there? What's the e-board all about?
4: Sure. Yeah, our executive board, so they – any. Major decisions we have the executive board we meet once a month at least and we go through and kind of make uh, major decisions on things before our e board our average age was was kind of up there and and after this past election over the summer our average age is right around uh, our e board's probably just a little over thirty years old so it's, we have this surge of of younger people wanting to get involved in our local which is great and uh it's been taken off, and, and the older generations have been more than happy to, to help out and accept that these younger guys are taking over.
1: So you got young guys in the office. I mean, I saw one. Your recording secretary is 25. Is
4: that right? Uh, Yes. Yeah, she's 24, turned 25, yep.
1: Yeah. And, and first elected female, I might add. So, okay, you, know, you got an older workforce out in the field, but you got younger people that are on your board? I mean, is there any um, conflict? Any? How about the dynamics there? Because, you know, you got the older people are sometimes, and, I, I, and I'm in that category, too. I, I mean, you know, you're, they may not be all that accepting of what the young workers are saying and doing. Talk to me about that.
4: Sure. I, I think at first there was a little bit of a, maybe not pushback. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to describe this. I, I think we have this Great group of guys who are really close, and and, uh, everybody's willing to work together. For sure, there are some pushbacks, but um, everything's going great. They know that we're involved, and we're we're doing this for the right reasons, and we want to—we're doing this for the future. We're not doing it for the individual. We're doing it for the whole.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, looking down the road here. Well, it's good to know that you're working with MIT on that. That's a nuclear fission plant. I'm also— Looking at these uh, heat pump systems, I guess they're gaining a lot of popularity there. Can you give us a little little details on that and how that's going to affect local four?
4: Yes, so especially in Massachusetts and states like California, we have a, a lot of people who want to get rid of uh, fossil fuels and natural gas and things like that. And and we've had a couple towns ban uh, new installation of, of fossil fuels and gas burning appliances such as boilers and steam and things like that so we have these large projects that are switching over to heat pump systems so we have a, a major our largest high school biggest project Worcester's ever had uh is, is a full heat pump system so we what well, we're seeing the direction going that way and we get we're starting to do a lot of training on that a lot of heat pump there's a lot to it a lot of electrical a lot of controls a lot of work and a, and a lot of maintenance that needs to be done on them as well
1: Mm-hmm. so you so local four will be installing those and well will these be residential and commercial or what
4: yes uh both residential we see a lot of uh housing complexes that are going to heat pump mini mini split systems and on larger systems like this high school's complete drf heat pump system
1: good to hear i like it okay robbie mccarthy Business manager, young guy, thirty-five years of age, looking to the future here. United Association Local Four, Central Massachusetts, UA Local Four dot com is your website. Thanks for uh, joining us. Any any parting words for our audience here?
4: i uh, just looking looking forward. Futures, everything's looking good, so I'm I'm That's excited cool. about it. Hoping to you stick around be. for a long time.
1: Okay, my brother, you take care and uh, best of the holidays to you. Okay.
4: Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas.
1: Well, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Steelworkers and Ironworkers Local 384. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group.
2: Find out more information online at labortools.com.